Father, we thank you for this, <clears throat> this day, Father, that we're able to come and gather as your people and are able to worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we're thankful for the promise, Lord, that you can make dead things alive and you can bring hope, Lord, into hopeless situations, Father. And Lord, it's all because of your great love for us that you demonstrated, Father, when you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, Father, and was raised from the dead, Lord, so that we could have eternal life, that we might be forgiven, Lord. Lord, we pray, Father, as we enter into a season of thanksgiving, that you would remind us, Father, of all the blessings, Lord, that you have given to us, Father, but of the most important blessing, Father, the gift of eternal life, the gift of a relationship with you, Father, as our heavenly Father, and we're your dearly loved children. Be with us now, Father. Help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that little boy, he only said one word. He said it a couple of times, or maybe two or three times. Uh, but you can tell from his reaction how, uh, how appreciative, how grateful that he was. And so the message today is entitled, Words Cannot Express. Words cannot, cannot express. I don't know if you've ever received a thank you card. And it started, the cover said, Words Cannot Express. And uh, you, you can imagine the thankfulness that's coming from the person that's giving you that card. Well, today, we're going to look at one of the greatest displays of love and gratitude that's found in the Bible We're going to look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair, underneath the chair in front of you. And this uh, uh, passage is on page uh, 1023. 1023, this is Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 50. Uh, And in your Bible, if you have your own Bible, it may be, uh, this passage may be entitled, Jesus Anointed. By a sinful woman. So we're starting in verse 36 and says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a certain money lender, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Who forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I want to start by explaining the setting of our story. And I have a slide up here, uh, the one to, to show you. Back in, in the New Testament days in the, in the, in, uh, the land of Israel and, and perhaps in the Middle East, it was very common for people to host banquets in their home. Uh, this would be a banquet to honor a dignitary. So for someone like in this situation, it may have been he was a, uh, Simon was a Pharisee, so he may have done this very frequently. If there was a guest rabbi coming in, he's going to have a party. He's going to have a banquet. Well, today, if there's a banquet, if uh, some big celebrity or politician is having a banquet at the uh, Four Seasons and you try to go in there, you're not getting in there without an invitation. And if you try to get in, you'll probably get accosted by some security guards and uh, escorted on your way. Well, in these days, in the New Testament times, these banquets were community events. They were open to the public. Now, the public couldn't come in and start eating the food, but they were able to stand close by and observe what was going on because in these kinds of banquets, they, they lasted a long time. And so very often there would be some uh, deep discussion, political issues or theological issues, and so people would want to go and hear somebody that maybe they would not ever get to hear uh, other, at any other time. So... Uh, uh, everyone could not partake of the banquet, but people could come to the banquet. So, so you can see, very often people who were wealthy, they had this kind of a setup. Uh, uh, people believe it was like a courtyard where, again, the, the guests would be seated around the table. And I say seated, really, if you look at it, Jesus is kind of seated, but he's kind of laying down. Because what they would do is they would have kind of like a lean, uh, uh, they would be leaning on these couches and they would, their face and their head would be towards the table and their feet would be as far away from the table as possible. And so that they could grab and eat and talk and so forth and they can kind of lay down because so they, they're going to be there for a long time. So uh, back to our story. Uh, this woman, it says, uh, uh, she found out about this banquet and this uh, event that the Pharisee was was uh, hosting and very, very quickly in in the text it says a woman. If you if you look at the uh, the, the text again, it says a woman who had lived a sinful life. And uh, I'm often amazed that the Bible writers do not um, sugarcoat their descriptions of the people and the heroes in the Bible. Uh, it said she lived a sinful life. So many people believe this woman was a prostitute, and. Uh, she hears that Simon is having the party and that the community could go, so she wanted to go. But she is not just going to observe. 
She's not just going to listen to them have theological discussions. She's going because she wanted to express her appreciation to the Lord. So I take this as, for our first point, if you there in, the, in your handout. Uh, those who are grateful will express their appreciation to the Lord. Those who are grateful will express their appreciation to the Lord. So in verses uh, 7, chapter 7, verse 36 and 37, it said, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So notice again, she's not just coming to hear and to watch. She's coming to express her appreciation. And so then the next part of the of your outline, people who express their gradation demonstrate this by their determination and their thoughtfulness. Now, we need to consider the, the, the social context of this story. It takes place, as we've already read, in the home of a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And if you don't know very much about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious fundamentalist of that day. Uh, During the time when there was no prophets, there was was no king in Israel, there was this period, it was called the period of 400 years of silence. And so it was the job of the Pharisees to preserve the teachings of the law to preserve the Jewish culture. This was very important for them. And and, and one of the, they took the law very, very seriously. They took it so seriously that not only did they not want to violate the teachings and the commandments of the law, the Torah, they created a whole other set of rules so that they wouldn't break the Ten Commandments. They wouldn't break the Levitical Code. And so these people were zealous. They were zealous. And so the woman, who was a sinful woman, she knew. She knew when she walked into that room or that courtyard that people were going to know who she was. They were going to know what she did for a living. They are going to know the reputation that she had, she knew, and it wasn't just going to be, you know, it's not like, you know, you're hanging out with your friends. It's like if you and I were to go to Pastor Greg's house, you know, and the pastor and or the elders or whatever, right? Well, she knew what would happen. These are the holy people, but not only were they holy, they were very, very fundamentalist, religious, judgmental, and she knew that she was going to get some looks, and she, she knew that they were going to scorn her and that they would be thinking all kinds of terrible things about her. Maybe even they might even say something to her. But she went. She took her opportunity to express her appreciation to Jesus. So not only did she go, not only did she go, she, you know, it's like when you're going somewhere and it's a party and you forgot to get a gift. You try to find something. No, she, she didn't just, oh, I, I got to bring something. Let me let me bring let me bring a scarf. Let me bring uh, I don't know a little trinket here. No, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, men in the audience, I don't know the last time that you bought perfume for your wives. 
That stuff is not cheap. <laughs> you, know you, you know, I'll buy my mom perfume sometimes, a little bitty bottle like this, $75. So I can imagine the ones that are bigger, you know, show how much that they would cost. Well, it costs this much today. It cost even more back in the biblical times. It was not cheap. And we know that it was not cheap because of the kind of container that it was in. It was in an alabaster container. This is marble. This is like a, a, a very, very uh, um, precious and hand-carved. And so they would put this perfume in it so that it would not be wasted. And so we know that this was not, not cheap. So those who are grateful, as you see, are going to express their appreciation. Second of all, those who are grateful will display profound humility. Look at uh, verse 38 of chapter 7. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So this woman comes into to this party, to this gathering, and uh, she didn't make a scene. She's not, she's not looking for attention. She quietly comes in, and she stands behind Jesus. And she's standing over his feet, and she starts to weep. Uh, the text says, you know, the tears were, maybe it started with a single tear, you know. <laughs> but then it really started to come down. And she's weeping. She looks down at, uh, uh, at Jesus' feet after a while and she notices that Jesus' feet are drenched with her tears. The Greek, uh, Expositor's Greek Testament says that the word for wet means to moisten as rain moistens the ground. So her tears literally rain down on Jesus' feet. So I wonder why this woman, uh, the woman in this story was crying. Was she crying because of all the pain that she had uh, experienced in her life? Was she crying because uh, the shameful things that she had done? Or was she crying because she heard the good news that God is a gracious God, that God is compassionate and loving, and He longs to forgive sin, and that He He has made a way and He has made a provision for our sin through the gospel, through through Jesus Christ. Was was that why she's crying? Well, this immense sense of gratitude and appreciation and joy. Maybe she was crying for all those reasons. As is possible at times, you can experience so many different emotions at time, at different times. What is clear, she did not hesitate to let her tears flow. Um, she was not too proud to let her emotions show. Now, I know, have you ever seen women do this? You know, it was... <laughs> I know you're doing it. You're not, it's not because you're proud. You just don't want to ruin your makeup. All right? She did not want, she wasn't caring about her makeup. She wasn't caring about what people were saying. She let her love for the Lord literally flow all over him. 
Because she was humble. So the people who are grateful will display profound humility and they demonstrate this humility by their discretion and their service. They demonstrate their humility by discretion and service. And again, look at, look at Luke 7.38. As she stood behind him, him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. So when this woman, she, she's weeping and crying, and then she looks down and she sees, she sees Jesus' feet wet, and she's embarrassed. She doesn't have anything. She doesn't have a towel. She doesn't have anything to dry his feet wet. She didn't want to leave Jesus' feet wet. So what does she do? She, she, does, she, does, she lets down her hair. And she dries Jesus' feet with her hair. In, in, in these, in the, uh, maybe you can, it might be still true in some Middle Eastern cultures that women do not walk around with their hair down. Uh, many a time they, they'll keep it covered. Well, definitely in these Bible days, they kept it up. Uh, the only person who saw a woman with her hair down in Jesus' day was the husband. And it was a shameful thing for a woman to put down her hair in public. Now, I said earlier that this is, is an act of discretion. And service. Was this an act of discretion? Well, I think it was. She cared more about Jesus' feet than what people thought about her. She did not want to offend the master by weeping all over his feet and then leaving his feet um, wet. But not only does she dry Jesus' feet, she starts to kiss his feet. Now, this is the thing. So she kissed his feet over and over and over again. You know, I, I don't know too many people that we do that to. Maybe babies, right? <laughs> or, or if somebody's coming back from the military, you haven't seen them, and they were in danger zone, and you see them, and you're the mom, I could see you grabbing them and just kissing all over them. Well, the word here for how she is kissing him over and over again is the same word that Luke uses in the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home to the father and he runs to the father, the father runs to him and he tries to get his little speech out. His father just grabs him and hugs him and kisses him over and over and over again. And this is what the woman is doing to Jesus. He's kissing his feet over and over and over again. It's funny, she, she, she pours perfume on Jesus' feet. It wasn't enough for her to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, it's interesting. We're going to see here what, what, what was not done for Jesus by Simon. But when she looked down at these wet feet of Jesus, they weren't just wet. There was mud and dirt on them. They were dirty. They hadn't been washed. And so she wipes, she, she wets her, her, Jesus' feet with her tears and these muddy, dirty feet. She dries them with her hair and then she pours perfume on them. She probably wanted to pour it on his head, but maybe she thought it was too much 
to do that for him. And so she just did it on his feet. You know, uh, um, I was talking about what wasn't done. The reason this woman had to do this is because when Jesus came to Simon's house, Simon did not wash Jesus' feet. Simon did not have a servant to wash Jesus' feet. Simon didn't even have some water and a, and, a, and a basin for Jesus to wash his own feet with. It's very rude on the part of Simon. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. So those who are grateful will display profound humility. And then point three, those who are grateful will show great love for the Lord. Uh, You know, it might seem obvious that this woman was motivated by her love for Jesus. But there are people in the story, and hopefully not in this room, who are missing the point of this story. Look at verse 39 of chapter 7. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder why, why, was, why did Simon even invite Jesus to this, to have dinner with him? He's got, it's not like he has some attitude problems. And uh, instead of being moved by this act of, uh, of love and devotion, he's, he's judging this woman and he's judging Jesus because Jesus is allowing this woman. Uh, so he's missing the point. But Jesus is not going to let him, is not going to let him miss the point. Let's look at uh, verses 40 through 43. Jesus answered Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed a certain money lender, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus uh, Jesus said, you have judged correctly. So Jesus tells this story. One guy owes him 500 denarii, the other one's 50. You know, in... in, uh, this would be that uh, denarii was a day's, wa- day's wage. So 50 denarii was about two months' salary. You can probably do the math. The engineers and the math you know, teachers out there can figure out that 500 denarii is probably over a year's worth of salary. But the point is, Jesus makes it neither one of them could pay back, and he forgave them both. Neither of them. It doesn't matter. You know, if you're in debt, it doesn't matter. You know, if you cannot pay and you're in debt, it doesn't matter if you owe 50 or if you owe 500 because you're still in debt and you can't pay. Well, neither of them had money to pay, so he forgave them both. And Jesus asked him, who will love the moneylender more? Now, Jesus would have made a good lawyer, <laughs> Mike Wilson. Because, you know, you're not supposed to answer a question, ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Jesus said, who do you think will love him more? So Simon, also a lawyer, he concedes the point, but not very enthusiastically. He says, well, 
suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Boom! Lawyered. Lawyered. The woman's actions demonstrated that she had great love for the Lord. So those who are grateful will show great love for the Lord and they'll demonstrate this great love by their emotions and their actions. Look at what he says in verses 44 through 47. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour or put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I just want to point something out here. Jesus didn't forgive this woman's sins because she cried all over him and she wiped her his feet with her hair, and she poured perfume. That's not the point of the story. Jesus said she's already been forgiven, and she is expressing, she is demonstrating her love because she's because she has been forgiven. Um, this quote from Ray Fowler in his sermon on the same passage called Growing in Love and Forgiveness, he says, this woman had an overwhelming sense of gratitude and love for this teacher who came from God forgiving sin rather than condemning sinners such as herself. Martin Luther called these tears heart water. And so as her heart overflows with emotion, the tears come pouring out. And Luke tells us that she began to wet Jesus with her tears, Jesus' feet with her tears. He continues, her tears had fallen on Jesus' feet. And in loving humility, she starts wiping his feet with her hair. She not only wipes his feet, but she kisses them and pours perfume over them as an expression of her extreme love and devotion for Christ. So in summary, Those who are grateful will express their appreciation to the Lord. Those who are grateful will display display profound humility. Those who are grateful will show great love for the Lord. So how can we apply this to our lives? The slide says, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Well, which guy? Simon. Don't be like Simon. Why, why, why did, uh, is the point of the story that we not be like Simon? Because Simon was ungrateful. Compared to what the woman did, uh, Simon's actions were extremely rude and disrespectful. Why? Because he was ungrateful. He was ungrateful. And so there's some characteristics. Now, again, these are just some things that I've noted from this passage. And uh, uh, this is uh, from right before the same chapter, 
Luke is writing. We're going to talk about it in a second. But first of all, ungrateful people often are hard-hearted. Ungrateful people are often hard-hearted. Verse Luke 7, chapter 29. So just flip over a couple, just a few verses before. And the story is, the, Luke is writing, it was, was when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And how John the Baptist was great. And there was not a greater prophet than John the Baptist and, and so forth. And then it says, this is Luke's commentary on what Jesus has said. And what's going on in verse 29? All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. This is, this is they're, they're, the Pharisees were hard-hearted. And, and uh, if you and I reject God's purpose for our lives, if we shut him out of our lives, we are not going to see his hand in our lives. If you keep God at a distance, don't be surprised if you don't see him moving and working in your life. Now, thankfully, it says he reigns on the just and the unjust, but You may be wondering, why is not God doing more in my life? Why am I not seeing miracles? Why, if you are shut off to God, if your heart is hard, it's hard for God to get close. Second of all, uh, ungrateful people are not only hard-hearted, they are indifferent. This is from Luke 7, verses 31 through 35. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. You know, um, the Pharisees heard this. It's very likely that uh, um, they'll be like, hmm, why don't we have them come over? We have a lot of food and a lot of wine. For some time now, they have been trying to set Jesus up. They have been trying to trap him and get him to say something that would go against their laws or go against the Roman law. And of course, if they could catch him stuffing himself, if they could catch him drunk, they could really, really just destroy him and his ministry, his reputation. It's funny, Jesus says, when Jesus talks about this generation, he's talking directly about the Pharisees. And isn't it interesting that, the, that Jesus compares the Pharisees to children? So parents out there, at which stage of development are your children the most likely to be indifferent? What? What would you say? Say it out loud. 
teenagers, <laughs> adolescents. I found this quote on Psychology Today. This is, this, is a, this is really interesting. Adolescents can be a very self-centered and socially limiting experience in the extreme causing young people to lose empathy for others in their preoccupation with self-interest and confinement to their own small social circle of friends. Of course, if we are self-centered and preoccupied with our own self-interest, we are not going to focus on the blessings we've been given. What do your teenagers, sometimes young people, not all the time, (laughs) what do they focus on? Not what they have, but what they don't have. What they think they deserve and they don't have. And all of us have been adolescents at one time and we've been there. Some of us continue to be there. Um, So ungrateful people are hard-hearted, indifferent, and lastly, they are proud. Verse uh, verse 39 of chapter 7, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw saw this, he said to himself, and this the woman anointing Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Isn't it interesting? And Simon probably didn't even pick this up. Simon didn't say this in his outdoor voice, (laughs) his external voice. He was thinking that. And then Jesus tells him a story. But I don't think he got it because he was proud. Ungrateful people very often are proud. And I remember another story in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 13. Jesus is talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector who go up to pray to the temple. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but stood off at a distance and beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ungrateful people are hard-hearted. They're indifferent. They're proud. I found this devotion by uh, Dr. Joseph Stowe, the former president of Moody Bible Institute. Some of you may may uh, know this little little um, poem. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner, eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said. What a good boy am I. Dr. Stoll says, at first blush, Jack seems rather cute and innocent. But on further reflection, the situation is messed up. If he is such a good boy, what is he doing in the corner? Usually only naughty boys sit in a corner. And most picture books show him sitting down with a whole pie on his lap 
I've never known a mother who gives her kid a whole pie, which means he probably stole it from the kitchen. Regardless, he is breaking the protocols of etiquette by sticking his fingers in his food. And to top it all off, he congratulates himself for finding a plum in the pie rather than thanking his mom for buying the plums and baking the pie. So this, this uh, is about gratitude. What, what, a, what a, just, it's almost just um, such an amazing story. And you kind of feel like, wow, you know, why, why is my love for the Lord not so intense and so passionate? I love to see new Christians. I love to see Christians who, who've just been saved. And they're smiling and they are excited about going to church <laughs> and they're excited about Bible study and they're excited about prayer and they're excited about, you know, reading their Bibles and they're excited about evangelism and they, they're excited about talking about Jesus and you can just, it just, and you're like, Ugh. you know, <laughs> because you, 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 in a way we want that in another way we're like, oh, maybe we feel guilty because we're not that way. You know, there was another group in this story that's not mentioned. But there were other people in there. Most likely, Jesus' disciples. They're the ones that told him what happened. You know, we can be a follower of Christ. We can be about the Lord's work. And we lose touch with the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of our Lord. This is a time of, of thanksgiving and, and maybe you're thankful by nature and, and I wish that I was. I'm, I'm not a thankful person by nature. I'm looking at things that I don't have and looking at my struggles. And I know, I know that there are people in here. You're going to enter another season, not the first season, another season of suffering of marital issues, of physical issues, of emotional issues, of financial problems, or of not having any work. And it's hard for you to be thankful. It's hard. But you know what? You and I have one thing. We have one thing that is more important than any job, than any money, than any relationship, than than even our own physical health. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven. We have been saved. We have been redeemed. We belong to Him. Our future is set. Our future is set. So yeah, I might be struggling financially. I might be at a job I'm not too happy about. My marriage is not what I want. My kids are not following directions. They're not doing well in school. All these things. My mother's not well. All these things may be going on. But I have a Savior. I have a Savior. Uh, Anita, you guys guys can come forward. Um, I love the songs that we sang this morning. You can imagine the woman saying, 
What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. This is our prayer for our church. That during this season, we would be grateful. We would be thankful for all that God has done for us. But most of all, that we would be thankful for his great love. And the fact that we have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, that you didn't want heaven without us. So you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to come and die for our sins. So that if we put our faith in Jesus, we will be forgiven. We will be made children of God. We have our eternity secure. We have eternal life beginning right here and now, Father. Lord, wherever we may be, Father, if we do not know you, Father, I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds and the eyes, Lord, of those who do not know you, Father. Those of us who are away, Father, who have wandered, we pray, Lord, that you would bring us home, Father. We know that you're waiting for us, Lord. And those of us who are weary, And struggling, Father, remind us, Lord, of the most important thing. You and our love for you and your love for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.